The passage that we look at this morning from Second Chronicles 20 is one that's come to my mind in situations where I don't know what to say. Sometimes you're called to the hospital, there's been an accident, and you're wondering, what do I say? Are there any, any magical words that I can uh, offer that uh, will make everything better all at once? No, there aren't. But this text really draws us to the Lord and reminds us that the battle is His and the weapons that we use are mighty. Second Chronicles 20, I want to begin reading at verse 1. It came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Munites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not the ruler of all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful prayer of, of a king of Judah. A man who realized that he was faced with a battle, a challenge that was way beyond his ability to handle. But he turned in the right direction. He did what he ought to have done. He called the nation to prayer. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this passage of Scripture, the people of Judah are faced with a great battle. And we are told that a great multitude was coming against them. It was actually three nations together, and they had already crossed the border. And when Jehoshaphat found out about the plans of the enemy, 
He responded in an interesting way. We don't see any record here that he called his military advisors together and say, what do we do now? How do we handle this? How do we get the troops going? But what he did do was he called upon the Lord. He used the greatest weapons he could have used, and the people of Judah won a great victory that day. So what weapons did he use? And and what are the weapons of our warfare, the battles that we face? Our text gives us three very clear weapons. The first one is prayer. We battle as we kneel in prayer to God. So if you're the king of Judah and you hear that this huge army is coming against you, I assume you would be afraid, just like King Jehoshaphat was. But he did what he ought to have done with his fear. He called for a prayer meeting. In fact, he called the entire nation of Judah to gather in Jerusalem for prayer. I wonder what would happen today if our president called upon the nation for prayer. What if he said, we are facing challenges, we are facing problems, we have battles that we cannot handle. We need to call upon God. Would people come from every city in America to pray like they did in Judah? Would we turn our attention to seek the Lord? Would we get down on our knees and say, God, we need you desperately. There are needs in our land that only you can handle. I wonder what would happen. As the nation gathered in the temple, Jehoshaphat led the people in prayer. And he begins his prayer by recounting the mighty power of God. In verse 6, he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. Now, I don't think... Jehoshaphat was reminding God of who he is, as if God needs to know who he is. Uh, Obviously not. But Jehoshaphat is praying here. He's praying this to remind himself of who God is, because he was fearful. He needed to get his eyes off of the enemy so he could get his eyes on the Lord. And he calls God here the God in the heavens, the God who is the ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations. So there never has been a nation and there never will be a nation greater than God. He is greater than the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Munites, all three of them together. Because he is the one who has the power to do whatever he wants to do. And that is a wonderful reminder to us as we get down on our knees in prayer of who this God is to whom we are praying. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? The psalmist asked. What does he say? The one who has made heaven and earth. The one who rules the nations of the world. Do we, do we recognize that when we get down on knees and pray, reminding ourselves of who this God is that we are praying to? The God in the heavens who is ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations. He goes on to present his need before the Lord. He says, Lord, you drove out the inhabitants of this land. You gave it to the people of Israel. 
They've lived in it. They've built a sanctuary here. And they pray, should evil come, we will cry out to you and, and you will deliver us. And now here they are. Here's the Ammonites. Here's the Moabites. Here they are. You wouldn't allow us to invade them when we came out of Egypt. And now look what they're doing to us. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. In other words, Lord, this this land is our land because you gave it to us. This is the promised land. This is the land that you, you promised to Abraham and you gave it to us. And now they're seeking to drive us out of this land that you gave us, Lord. And then I love how he ends this prayer. He says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless. We are powerless before this great multitude who is coming against us. We don't know what to do. But, he says, our eyes upon you. Have you faced a situation like that? Lord, we are powerless against this vast army. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. If you are a believer in Jesus... That's how you were saved, right? You acknowledged that you were powerless. You acknowledged that you couldn't save yourself. But you looked to Jesus. We are powerless. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Luther finally discovered that after many years of struggling and striving trying to do what he could to save himself until he came to the realization that he couldn't do it. Only God could save him. And by faith, he experienced the power of God as he cried out to God on his knees in prayer. But I must tell you, this won't be the last time that you feel powerless. We face battles in this life. We face situations in this life where there is nothing in ourselves that we can do to change it. But God can. And that's why we need to pray. Prayer is an acknowledgement of our need and it ought to be the first weapon in battle. That was the first weapon in battle that Jehoshaphat did. The first thing he did was to get down on his knees in prayer. Is prayer your first Weapon? Or is prayer your last resort? Would you put on the back of your car, if all else fails, pray? That's how some people live. Really. They try this and try that and try this and try that, and finally they realize they can't do it, and oh, maybe I should pray about it, huh? Really? Maybe that should be the first response, the first weapon, as it was with Jehoshaphat. September 11th of 2001, well, you know what happened that day. There was a man who was working on the 81st floor of the World Trade Center. And when he saw an airplane flying directly toward him, he prayed a quick prayer and dove under a desk. And his prayer was this, Lord, I can't do this. You take over. And a friend of his heard his cry for help, worker from another office, He heard and responded, and they made their way through the rubble and the darkness, 80 flights of stairs, and they were saved. Lord, I can't do this. You take over. Is that your prayer today? That's our first weapon. We get down on our knees and pray.
The second weapon we noticed here, we battle as we stand on the promises of God. I find it interesting that it didn't take very long for the Lord to answer Jehoshaphat's prayer. Almost immediately, verse 14, Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, here's his message. He said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. And that's what we need to hear is what, what does God say about this? He says, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the valley in the front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them. For the Lord is with you. There are several phrases here that remind us of events that God had already done for His people. Verse 17, Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Does that ring a bell? That takes us back to the Exodus. That takes us back to the time when, when Pharaoh's troops were, were backing the Israelites against the Red Sea. And in chapter 14, verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. Almost word for word. And if you were alive that day and you knew your Bible, what would come to your mind? That's the God of the Exodus. That's the one. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Just as God defeated that Egyptian army, so He would be with His people again. How about the phrase, verse 15, the battle is not yours, but God's? Almost word for word when David battled Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, verse 47, the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hand. And how many times do we find this phrase, the Lord is with you? <laughs> All over Scripture. Many examples of God who, who gave victory to His people in times that were so hopeless that it was astounding what God did. You go back a few chapters in, in uh, Chronicles. In uh, 2 Chronicles 14, when King Asa he was facing the Ethiopian army, which had a million soldiers, one million soldiers. And God gave them a, a great victory. So the God who says, stand and see the salvation of the Lord, the God who says, the battle is not yours, but God's, the God who says, the Lord is with you. This is the God who gave the people of Judah His promise, and it was a promise that they could count on. The outcome was already known. <laughs> right? If the battle is the Lord's. Do we have any doubt about the outcome? No question. I was thinking about that the other day. And I don't know what you're like during a, a sporting event when you really want your team to win. Isn't that just uh, 
nerve-wracking, huh? You're just, you know, squeezing your hands and chewing your fingernails. And if you're like, uh, remember Don Rodvold, choir director, they said he used to change his shirt at halftime when he watched the Vikings. He got so nervous. Because <laughs> you don't know what the outcome's going to be, Right? But you know, when you know the outcome and then watch the game, I've found that's much more enjoyable because if you know your team's going to win, then you can just relax during the game. Well, we know we're going to win because God says we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In spite of what we face in the world, like one man said, I read the end of the book and we win. (laughs) We win. Praise God for that. We battle as we stand on the promises of God. And thirdly, we battle as we move forward in praise to God. I find it really interesting to notice how this chapter that describes a great battle is filled with praise. It's just like, how do those two go together? You're out fighting, you're battling, and yet we find a praise to God before, during, and after the battle. Look at verse 18. After The prophet gave them God's promise. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites, that'd be the praise team, like our praise team, from the sons of the Kohathites and of the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. Even before the battle started, get that, even before the battle started, the people were praising God. Do you know why? They were praising God because they believed His Word. They knew that God was going to do what He said He would do, so they praised Him as if the battle had already been won. Isn't that neat? They heard the promise. Wonderful, God. We praise you before it started. How about during the battle? Is that a usual battle plan where you uh, are singing while you're fighting? Look at verse 20. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy tire as they went out before the army. Now, have you ever heard of a battle plan like that? Sending the choir in front of the army? Give thanks to the Lord, they sang, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Wow. But you know what? Something happened. When this choir started to sing. Verse 22 says, When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground, and no one escaped. 
And then verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves more than they could carry. And they were three days, mind you, three days, taking the spoil because there was so much. Isn't that interesting? When they began to praise the Lord, God did something that day. Have you experienced that before? Have you experienced something like that where you were facing a battle in your life and it was during a hymn, singing a hymn, or maybe a worship song, or maybe you're riding in your car and you're, you're listening on the radio and some song ministers to your soul in a, in a wonderful way and it's like you had a victory right there in the car. Huh? Raise your hands and no, keep them on the wheel. Raise one hand. I mean, have you experienced that before where there, there's something about singing, something about praising God that, that brings victory? I experienced that last Sunday morning in church. Because when we got up in the morning, we knew there were challenges with our grandson. We didn't know what the result would be, their potential of, of, of brain damage and other organ damage. And we sang the hymn, which I had picked days before he was born, day by day and with each passing moment. Strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I have no cause for worry or for fear. And the rest of the verses are just as good. And I thought, Lord, that song was for me today. As well as some of the other songs we sang last Sunday. Same thing. It's just like there was a victory in my soul. I didn't know what the outcome would be, but God ministered to me. Something happened in my heart when we began to sing. I can't explain that. But I would bet you've experienced that before as well, where it was a song that really, really ministered. So they sang before the battle. They sang during the battle. And obviously they sang after the battle, too. Look at verse 26. Then on the fourth day, after collecting spoil for three days, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, they have named that place the Valley of Baraka or the Valley of Blessing. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest on all sides. It shouldn't surprise us that they came back to Jerusalem with great joy. I mean, they were facing death. They were staring death in the face. Here was this army that was coming against them, and Jehoshaphat knew that in themselves there was no way they were going to defeat that army. But their lives were spared. How could they not praise the Lord? If you know Jesus, you were staring death in the face as well. 
Not just physical death, but eternal death. And Jesus saved you from that. Is that not reason to praise Him today? The victory has been won. Christ has conquered death. We have that joy, that peace of knowing our sins are forgiven. That we are in a right relationship with God. That we have the promise of eternal life. Fanny Crosby was a blind hymn writer. From what I read, she wrote over 8,000 hymns. Can you imagine that? 8,000? And someone once asked her if there was a special hymn that was written to describe her conversion, her salvation. And she said, I have written many hymns to describe the joy of my salvation. But the one that stands out the most to me right now is this one. And she started to sing the song that we're going to sing now, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. Have you been redeemed? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Well, then let's sing. I sing about the redemption, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Would you stand as we sing then in closing? Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. 518.